today we're going to start talking about love. In our culture, love has been raised to an amazing level. Do you realize that outside of Mother's Day and Christmas, the biggest spending holiday is today? When you tell all the people that you love how much you love them, all right? And today we're going to talk not about love. We're going to talk about love, all right? There's a difference, right? We're going to read a story in Scripture that kind of illustrates that. But before we get there, I just want to remind us that, that, that idols can be anything in our lives. And you can relate or raise a relationship, even a marital relationship between spouses or a boyfriend-girlfriend or any kind of relationship to the status where it becomes more important to you than God. And when that happens, you have created an idol. I was talking to somebody after the first service, and I talked about idolatry in there. And uh, one of them, uh, one of the ladies came up to me and she said, You know, my dad used to preach on idols. And when I was growing up, the idol was that thing that sat in your living room that you turned the channels on. And then he preached against it. Well, the truth is that can become an idol in your life. We won't talk about that. But I want to talk about more significant things that become idols. Because I don't think the TV itself can become an idol. I think what the TV promotes, what our culture says, can be. And we now grow up in a culture where everyone expects love to be a certain way. Big movie this weekend at the movie theater is Valentine's Day. I haven't seen it. I don't know what it's about, but I can guarantee you it's about love, right? All these television shows, all these movies try to make you imagine that it's going to be some magical experience. In CNN, on CNN.com today, you can go home and read the article if you'd like to. It's on the front page, or it was this morning. They give all the biological things that happen when you're in love. They talk about the chemicals and the feelings and all of that. And you get this idea that it's just a magical kind of thing. The movies tell us things like you had me at hello. They tell us that it was love at first sight. They have these stories where people are longing for each other. And we're going to talk today about the bad side of that. Genesis chapter 29. I told you to turn there yet? No. Turn to Genesis 29. All right? We're reading through the Bible uh, as a church. Some of you are incorporated in that. Some of you are joining us on Wednesday night. We talked about this passage a little bit a couple of weeks ago, but I want to cover it a little more in depth. And this is what I want to do. I want to read the story through, making some comments as we go. And then I want to talk about two points that I find at the end of it that I think we need to understand. And we're going to focus on a character that's not focused on a lot when people talk about this passage. All right? Chapter 29 of Genesis. We're going to start in the second part of verse 14. Jacob has just come and living with a relative. The relative's name is Laban. Laban has told him, you're just like my own flesh and blood. You can live here. Jacob had to run because he tricked his brother out of an inheritance and out of a blessing, and his brother was ready to kill him. And so he left, and he gets there, and he's there with Laban, who is his relative. And it says at the second part of verse 14 that after Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban came and said, listen, you're my relative. You can't work for me for nothing. I mean, you've been working for me too long. We need to start paying you something. What do you want? Verse 16. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel, two 
five names. Verse 17 says Leah had weak eyes. Now, that does not mean she needed glasses, okay? The better understanding of that is not that she had weak eyes. It's, as one pastor I saw put it, she was beauty challenged. All right? That's the politically correct way to say that she was not attractive at all. And so Laban had one daughter that was not attractive at all. Well, what about the other daughter? Rachel was lovely in form. Now, that is the NIV that I have trying to cover up what it originally says. To quote um, Princess, Rachel has a smoking hot body, is what that really says. All right? Now, I'm not, that's what it says, okay? That she was lovely in form and she was beautiful. Now, I just want you to see how sappy it's going to get here, okay? You ready? Verse 18, Jacob was in love with Rachel. Now, how do we know that? Because he says, I will work for you seven years in return to get the opportunity to marry your daughter, Rachel. Seven years. Now, guys, I just want you to think for a moment, those of you that are married, if you had gone to your spouse's father and said, I'd like to marry your daughter. And he said, well, we're going to have to work out something. Well, here's what I will do. I will work seven years without pay to have the privilege to marry her. I don't see any takers out there. This is Valentine's Day, guys. You might want to say, I would absolutely do that. All right? He says, I will work seven years to do that. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man Stay here with me. Now, here's where it gets sickening, all right? Verse 20. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. All right, ladies, this is where you go, Oh, Yeah. Sweet, isn't it? Verse 21. Jacob is a patient man, but he's not completely patient. Give me my wife. Time's up. Time has come. Give me my wife. My time is completed, and I want to lie with her. We'll move on. Verse 22. So Laban brought together all the people of the palace and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob. And Jacob lay with her. And Laban gave his servant girl Zilpah to his daughter as her maidservant. Now, here's what happened. When, um, when the Jewish people in that day had a wedding party, they had a wedding party, all right? They had beverages there that you will not find at our lunch after church today, okay? Or at any other Baptist function in this church. They had beverages that make you feel different. And so people ask sometimes, well, how did Jacob not know? Well, Jacob had probably partaken of a few beverages, and he was in a tent. In their custom, the bride would come into the tent veiled, and it was dark. They did this at night, and they didn't have streetlights, all right? And so he gets fooled, and Leah comes in. Verse 25. I love how the NIV writes this. When morning came, there was Leah. 
right? There's an exclamation point there, right? And when I was in school, they taught me to say that. There was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served you, Rachel. Did not? Why have you deceived me? Now, there's a little context there. Anybody know what Jacob's name means? Some of you reading through, remember what his name means? Deceiver, right? It's kind of a payback thing. The deceiver was deceived. And he says, what happened? I, I, you know, this is not what I intended. And Laban said, oh, I forgot. Um, it's not our custom to give our younger daughter before the older one. Just finish out the week, and when the week is over, I'll give you my other daughter. Jacob said, okay. He finished the week with Leah. Now, I just want you to get the picture here. Jacob, I did some research this week. It's an interesting thing because Jacob and Rachel are held up as this beautiful love story. Like, it sounds like a Hollywood movie a little bit, right? I mean, you could see how they could make it into a two-hour epic that Jacob loved Rachel and he worked for her and it didn't come true and the trick happened and there's the turn in Act 2 and then Act 3 comes. I mean, I saw wedding sermons on Jacob and Rachel. And I'm not saying that Jacob didn't love Rachel. But what gets lost in all of this is Leah. Right? She's just kind of discarded. I mean, Jacob spends the week with her. And I want you to imagine her mindset. We don't know her feelings for Jacob. We don't know if she'd ever had boyfriends. They kind of didn't do that back then. They arranged the marriages and you married. But her dad comes to her and says, listen, Jacob wants to marry you. And they have the party. And while Jacob thinks it's for him and Rachel, Leah knows that it's him and her. And they have the wedding night, and on the next morning, her husband says, I don't like you. I want Rachel. Now, perhaps some of you in this room have been a part of a relationship where someone that you really cared about and you thought might care about you has said, I don't like you anymore. Perhaps some of you in this room have had spouses who have said to you, I do, and then a few months, a few years later say, not anymore. Leah was the unloved, the one that was found to be without. And if you think about our world and you think about how we live, she would have been completely crushed. Now here's the thing. She was. And if you think about our culture and our world and you think about what it's supposed to be like to be in love, Leah realizes she's married to a man that will never love You know, it's interesting when you go to the store these days to read some of the Valentine's cards that are out there. And the things that are written on them and the promises that are made and the wonderful things that happen. And the way that our culture has kind of decided what love looks like. Eli had a birthday yesterday. He got mad at me because last week I didn't tell you it was his birthday week starting last Sunday. He doesn't have a birthday. He has a birthday week. And so his birthday was yesterday. He turned seven years old and... um, while he was seven years old, he's first grader, and during their Valentine's festivities during the week, they had to write about their perfect Valentine. I was up at his school Friday, and I read some of the kids' thoughts on what their perfect Valentine would be like. Of course, you had some that said that she would be pretty. 
One said that she would be gorgeous. You had a, a girl that thought that her perfect Valentine would be good in math. One that said that there she loves every part of him there is to love. I don't really understand what that's all about. <laughs> One said that he he wanted a Valentine that would constantly buy him new things, like a new bed. I guess he doesn't like what he's sleeping in currently. And one that I thought was the most honest of the bunch said his perfect Valentine is just like him. (laughs) Right? So you see all these things about what culture says, and they seem kind of funny when you read them from a 7-year-old until you realize that's kind of what the 17-year-olds and the 27-year-olds and the 57-year-olds think as well. Because what happens here in this story is Leah gives herself to Jacob, and then she's left out in the cold. Well, how do we know that? Well, look what happens here. Jacob did so, verse 28. He finishes the week with Leah. Laban gave him a daughter, uh, gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant girl Bilhah to be her maidservant. Jacob lay with Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than he loved Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. That's one of the stories that sometimes it gets mixed up. And we talked about this on the Wednesday night. A lot of people think that Jacob had to work seven more years and then he got Rachel. He got Rachel that week. Verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved. I'm going to tell you, that's a sad statement. How do we know that the Lord saw that Leah was not loved? Well, he knows all things, but... I think, and I don't think it's too far of a stretch to think that he heard her cries over and over again about her situation. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So Leah has this wonderful gift. In that day and time, I mean, infertility is a big deal today, but in that day and time, it was a major deal. And so he opens her womb. Rachel is barren. Leah becomes pregnant, gives birth to a son. And so now she'll be happy because she's got a son, right? God has blessed her. And she named him Reuben, she said, because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. That apparently didn't do it. She cried out to the Lord again. Verse 33. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Because the Lord had loved that I am not, or heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon, meaning the one who hears. Verse 34. Again she conceived. Apparently that didn't do the work. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So his name was Levi. See a pattern here? She keeps thinking that the Lord has blessed her, that her husband will love her. She's looking for human, earthly love. Verse 35. This is the turning point, and we're going to talk about two things real quickly. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah, and she stopped having children. This is what that point is all about right there. Is that when it came time that she finally realized that all I need in my life is Him. Satisfaction came. Here's the deal with us. If we're not careful in our lives, we will continually elevate other things, other people, other relationships to the place only God deserves. 
First thing that I notice out of this passage, only two today. First of all, we've got to stop looking for love in all the wrong places. Right? I apologize for putting that song in some of your heads for the next week. But we've got to stop looking for love in all the wrong places. The good thing is if you get that song in your head, that don't song will not be in your head. All right? What we have in Leah and what we have in Jacob and what we have in Rachel, whatever their relationship was like, whatever happens, they're all looking for love in the wrong places. Jacob thinks if he could just have Rachel, his life would be complete. How do we know that? Because his first offer is a big offer. I'll work seven years for her. I was uh, listening to some talk about the upcoming NFL draft. I know bringing the NFL draft up on the Valentine's Love thing is kind of strange, but they were talking to guys that have been working for 12 years for this moment. And I was reading a story yesterday about uh, the, the kind of hype that comes with an athlete and that you train and you train and you train and then you reach what you're supposed to get to. And we'll talk about this a little bit more in a few weeks when we talk about success. You get to what you're supposed to get to and you get there and you get it and then it's not what you expected. Now let me just tell you, if Jacob would have awakened with Rachel instead of Leah, the truth is, in the days of head, he would have still found himself disappointed. Because the truth is, in our lives, whenever we give ourselves completely to another person and place them above our relationship with the Lord, they will disappoint us. This is the 12th Valentine's Day that Susan and I have spent as married folk. Married. And... I want to tell you this. I love Susan more today than I have ever loved her. And our relationship is better today than it has ever been. But here's what I know. That if I put everything of my life in expectation on her, she will disappoint. And I know that if she puts everything in her life in dependence on me, I am going to disappoint a lot. Because that's not how we're made. And what saddens me is to see people all over this country and this town who put themselves completely into a relationship with somebody else above their relationship with the Lord. And then when it goes wrong or it disappoints or expectations aren't met, they are crushed. And what happens here with Leah is she, even though she knows that she may not have been his first choice, she probably knows the story, she probably understands it, she still thinks there's a possibility. And time after time, he loves Rachel more than he loves her. And it only comes at the end of that discussion when she finally realizes that she must not be pursuing the relationship with Jacob first, that she must pursue her first love first. And that's the second thing. We need to continually seek our first love. In the book of Revelation, Jesus is writing to the churches, and he kind of says, listen, here's a bunch of stuff that's going on. And he talks to one church, and he says, you're doing a great job. Things are going well, except I have this. You have abandoned your first love. And here's what I'm here to tell you. When it comes to love, our culture has it all wrong. I was talking to my brother-in-law who pastors down in uh, Mississippi uh, yesterday. He called about Eli's birthday to wish Eli a happy birthday, and we ended up talking sermon stuff for a little while. That's what happens when you have preachers in the family. 
Um, and so we were talking about some stuff, and I was telling him where I was going today. He was talking about where he's going. Uh, and so we were discussing this. He says, you know, Lyle, whenever I counsel with a young couple, I always tell them this. They're getting ready to get married. I said, our culture tells us to marry the one we love. And he said, that is not biblical at all. He says, culture tells you to go out and find that person that you have those feelings for, that you think that about, that makes you feel good, that you think fulfills you, and that you are to marry the one you love. He said, the truth is, biblically, the response is, we are to love the one we marry. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't going to be feelings, and that doesn't mean there's not attraction, but what it means is, if you just marry for love, love will fade. And the biblical understanding is that you love the one you marry. Now, what kind of love? Well, it's the kind of love demonstrated by our Savior. Here's the neat thing about this story. Leah has a child that she praises the Lord for, right? What was the child's name? Judah, right? Anybody know the line from which Jesus came? You see what God did through her. And what's interesting is, as Leah is called weak-eyed, unattractive. The descendant that would bring us all salvation is described as the one that we would all turn away from, that would have no physical resemblance that would make us be drawn to him, that himself would be eventually the man that nobody wanted. And as he hung up on that cross and cried out from Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Literally, he was the unloved at that moment. And yet, because of his act of sin being placed upon him, he showed us the ultimate example of love. Over the next few weeks, we're going to get into more things that might be something that would cause you to think, if I place that above God. But let me just ask you straight out this morning. Is there a relationship in your life that you have placed above God? Is there a uh, relationship with a spouse? And as important it is to be close to your spouse, it is the most important earthly relationship you have if you're married. The question is, have you placed your relationship with your spouse above your relationship with your God? Is it a relationship with somebody you like? Somebody that you hope one day might be spouse material. Is it somebody that you don't even have a relationship with, but there's an affection towards, an infatuation with? And you think in your mind, if I could just be in a relationship with that person, everything would be okay. Perhaps you're here and there's been real disappointment in love. And this morning you need to just recommit yourself to your first love.